Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by community founder John Ferguson as we continue our series, Awesome. All right, from child dedicator to teacher, here we go. How's everybody doing today? (laughs) Uh, All right, a quick show of hands. I want to ask you a question. Um, If there was a scale or a continuum, all right, and on one end of that scale or continuum was awesome friend, and on the other end of that scale or continuum was awful friend, uh, think about where you would put yourself, okay? Awesome friend, I'm an awesome, awesome, awesome friend, I am an awful, awful friend. All right, think about that. Now, quick show of hands. Who would say, you know what, when it comes to friendship, yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty much an awesome friend. It's okay. Raise your hand if you think that's where you are. Okay, looks, you're kind of, well, I can't really say that, can I? All right. About, maybe about half of you, I think, reluctantly said, yeah, I think I'm an awesome friend. Yeah. How many of you would say, no, I'm over here. I admit it. <laughs> I'm pretty much an awful friend. Okay. Then there's only about half of you that voted either way. That's okay. Uh, don't hold someone else's hand up for them, though. That would not be nice, okay? You're an awesome friend. You're an awful friend. Let me raise your hand for you. Uh, it appears that uh, at least half of you think you're pretty awesome. Okay. So give yourselves a hand for being awesome. Okay. But I think we all know that the true test of friendship is whether or not you're friends on, help me out. Of course, of course. That's the true test of friendship, right? Are you friends on Facebook? And gaining that friendship is um, not always easy, all right? Take a look at this. Hey, Stan, I was on my computer at work and saw that you have a Facebook page now? Yeah, Dad, I was kind of forced to. Well, so are you going to add me as a friend? No, Dad, I I really don't want to get more into it. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm not your friend then? Dad, you are my friend. Well, you just don't want to add me as a friend. Dad, it's just a stupid click of a button that takes two seconds. Right, but you don't have the two seconds or... I just want to do my homework. All right, fine. Just to be clear, you and I are not friends... All right, Dad, I'll add you. Oh, cool, okay. (laughs) Anybody had that same conversation? (laughs) Uh, uh, Funny, but pretty true to life, right? Even for a two-dimensional cartoon. Uh, But, you know, I got to thinking, you know, if Facebook really is the measure of how awesome a friend you are, then I should do some research, okay? And so I I did some research on what it looks like to be an awesome friend, if Facebook is actually a real measure. And so I went to my own Facebook page first, okay? And I discovered that I have over 4,000 friends. I got over 4,000 friends. Now, that means I must be a pretty awesome friend, right? (laughs) You don't know how to respond to that. You shouldn't know how to respond to that. That's ridiculous. But just to boost my ego a little bit more, I decided to kind of compare myself with some other people that I think are awesome friends. And so I went to our executive pastor, Doug Ledden's Facebook page, okay? Yeah. Now, Doug has 812 friends. Now, that's a lot of friends, but you know what? I have like five times as many as Doug. So, I mean, I must dominate, right, when it comes to being an awesome friend. Would you agree? Yes? Okay, thank you. One person agrees. So then I took a look at my brother Dave's Facebook page. You, you guys know Dave, right? He, he attends here from time to time. Um, and I've always thought, you know, Dave, you know, he's, he's an okay friend, right? You'd agree, right? Dave has over 5,000 friends on Facebook. 
Over 5,000 friends. He has so many friends. He's such an awesome friend. He actually surpassed Facebook's maximum of friends. He had to get a fan page. He's so awesome of a friend, you can't even be his friend anymore. You have to be a fan. I've chosen not to be a fan. I'm just going to be a friend. I know that's shocking to you. That is the most ridiculous introduction I think I've ever given. Thank you. But we're in this series. You can go to the next slide. (laughs) We're in this series where we're talking about what it looks like to have awesome relationships. And you know, I think we all want our relationships to be awesome, don't we? And you know what? God wants our relationships to be awesome too. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important of all the commands? He responded with not one, but two commands. He responded with not one, but two commands that are actually one. He said that all of God's teachings are based on loving God and loving people. All of God's teachings are based on loving God and loving people. Everything in the Bible, all the commands, the whole story of following God is driven by love, loving God and loving people. And so if we really want to have awesome relationships, it starts with us deciding to love God with all of our heart and loving each other as we love ourselves. It starts with us deciding to be awesome. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that uh, Bob Goff has this best-selling book titled Love Does. And in the book, he suggests this as a life mission statement. He says, our life mission statement should be, be awesome. You like that? Be awesome. Turn to somebody near you and say, be awesome. And you know what? It reminds me of these wise words from King Solomon. He said, a man or a person who has friends must himself be friendly. A person who has friends must himself be friendly. And so today I want to talk specifically about awesome friends. Awesome friends. And if you want an awesome friend, you have to be an awesome friend. If you want an awesome friend, you have to be an awesome friend. And you know, I think deep down, we all want friends. I think deep down, we all want friends. You know, friends who truly know us, uh, friends who truly understand us, friends who we know we can count on uh, no matter what life might bring our way. And the truth is, I think we desire to be that kind of friend for someone in return. In fact, you know what? We were actually created with this longing. It's part of what it means to be human. In the Old Testament, uh, there's a word for this part of this. The word is nephish. Nephish. That's what it looks like if you were to spell it with English alphabet. But you say it nephish, like an F sound. So say nephish. nephish. Right. And nephish refers to our innermost being or our true self. It's often translated with the English word soul. In the Psalms, David, David wrote this. He said, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And Nephish, you see, yearns for, longs for closeness to God, closeness to God and connection to each other. You might even say that we are hardwired for awesome friendships. A recent article in the Wall Street Journal uh, was titled The Science of Making Friends. Interesting title, huh? The Science of Making Friends. And it referenced research showing that people with solid friendships live healthier, longer lives. Yeah, people with solid friendships actually live healthier, longer lives. Friendship decreases blood pressure and stress, reduces the risk of depression, increases longevity. Somebody once said that it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. I'm glad to finally find out that there's research that backs that up. (laughs) And I don't think that's surprising, but I mean, we need friends. We need awesome friendships. Yet, you know what? For so many of us, and I think if you really think about this and kind of let this linger in your mind for a little bit, I think for so many of us, this longing for true friendship 
remains unmet. I think this desire for truth connection at a deeper level goes uh, unfulfilled, if you will. And you know, if you do just a basic Google search on loneliness in America, you'll find all kinds of studies that are now saying that loneliness is the next big public epidemic. Over half of Americans have no one outside their immediate family that they can confide in. Over half of Americans have no one outside their immediate family they can confide in. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you know, they give us every opportunity to be more connected, right, supposedly, but yet we still feel more isolated, don't we? And let's face it, I mean, our busy calendars, our endless to-do lists, I mean, they often crowd out any time for cultivating deep friendships. And so we, we really do, we have this longing for connection, and yet I, I would say, and I would propose that, that many of us just, we're just not that good at making friends. We're not really that good at deep relationships. And so what I want to do for the next several minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes the max here, is take a look at someone in history who I think made the deliberate choice to be an awesome friend. I want to look at someone who I think made the deliberate choice to be an awesome friend. I want to talk about a guy named Jonathan. Now, I kind of like that name, a little biased to that name. That's my name, Jonathan. But Jonathan was the son of Saul, the first king of Israel. And you could say, I guess, that Jonathan was a prince. He was heir to his father's throne. And Saul was God's chosen king until he made a series of terrible decisions, and God decided that somebody else needed to be king, and it would be David. You're probably familiar with David. And even though David is God's new choice for king, he doesn't become king right away. In fact, we pick up the story written by the prophet Samuel, and and at this point, David is just a young man in Saul's army. Now, David first comes to the attention of King Saul when he goes to battle against a giant named, help me out, yeah, Goliath. And David, I mean, he becomes this, just this national hero overnight. I mean, even though he was completely outmatched, he takes down this giant, and he goes from relative obscurity to, you know, prominence, one of the most popular guys in the entire nation. I mean, his fame grew like crazy. He wins battle after battle, gaining even more popularity. I mean, people start writing songs about David, they cheer him wherever he goes. I mean, you know, if they'd had Facebook back then, he would have maxed out his friends in like 24 hours. I mean, you might compare David's rise to popularity to, you know, what our beloved Chicago Cubs are experiencing right now. And, and as you might expect, you know, the White Sox were a little, I mean, I'm sorry, I got a little sidetracked. Saul was a little jealous of the Cubs growing by. You know, you got to take advantage of it while it's good, right? Okay. But Saul was, you know, jealous of David's growing popularity. And now the king's son, Jonathan. Now, you know, you would think, wouldn't you, that Jonathan would see David as a threat. I mean, after all, you've got Jonathan, who's the legal heir to the throne, right? David rising in popularity. People are writing songs about him. They're cheering him wherever he goes. But after David defeats Goliath, what we, look at what we read about this kind of emerging friendship between Jonathan and David. Here's what it says. It says, it says the soul of David, or the soul of Jonathan, was knit to the soul of David, And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Look at that section again. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Here's what I love about Jonathan in this particular story. Jonathan clearly initiates this friendship with David. Jonathan clearly initiates this friendship with David. When it says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, that word for soul, that's that Hebrew word we learned earlier, nephesh. 
I mean, Jonathan felt that longing that we all feel for connection, that desire for deep friendship, to, to really connect on a, on a deeper level. And, and even though he had every reason to hold back, I mean, think about it. He had every, every right and, and, and reason to be threatened by David and, and to keep his distance. Jonathan reached out and initiated a friendship with him. Now, think about how different that is from how we often approach relationships or friendships. Maybe it's just me, but you know, I think we often, you know, we hesitate. We wait, we hold back, we talk ourselves out of it. I kind of start doing these. I think, well, you know, they're probably too busy. What if they think I'm trying too hard? Or what if they end up taking up a lot of my time and I regret initiating in the first place? Anybody with me? Let me ask you, I mean, what might happen if we chose, you know, to be like Jonathan here? And what if we put some of those reasons for holding back Aside, And what if we became initiators? I wonder how that might change the life of someone who God puts in our path. I wonder how that might even change our own lives. I mean, think about the last time someone initiated friendship with you. Think about that. Think about the last time someone initiated friendship with you. That felt pretty good, didn't it? I think we all, yeah, we like to be pursued. Sure we do. You know, Lisa, my wife, and I and our family moved to the city about six years ago. And when we moved down there, we knew very few people at all. I mean, it was, it was new territory for us. We lived in, you know, Naperville here for 11 years. Moving to a new neighborhood, new schools, new church that we started or helped start. <laughs> but you know, I, I still remember one of the first times someone reached out and initiated friendship with us, invited us over. It felt great. I mean, we were doing cartwheels. Seriously, it felt like high school all over again. I mean, they like us. They like us. Okay, so we're a little needy. But see, I think if we want awesome friendships, we got to be willing to take the first step, make the call, send the text, start the conversation, ask someone out for lunch or dinner. It doesn't have to be a big deal. But friendship demands somebody go first. Somebody initiates. And you see, if we want awesome friendships, if we really want to meet that unmet longing and desire, we've got to initiate. We've got to initiate. So let me ask you, how willing are you to initiate? How willing are you to initiate? All right, so we know that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. He initiated this friendship. But look what he does next. This is just fascinating to me. Look what happens next here. In 1 Samuel 18, 4, it says, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing... And gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, that might seem a little strange, but let me kind of tell you what's going on here, okay? Uh, Jonathan is next in line to be king, right? He's Saul's son. He's kind of the prince. And so what he does is he begins to develop this friendship with David, and David's popularity is on the rise. It's clear he's going to be the next king. What does he do? He hands David his robe, the robe of a prince, and gives David his weapons. He is giving David the markers of his own identity, In essence, he's acknowledging that David is the true prince of Israel, that David is God's chosen heir to the throne. Now, that is quite remarkable. And and what I see here in Jonathan is another trait, I think, of an awesome friend, and it's this, an awesome friend sacrifices. And I have to say, again, and this was like, hit me right here, okay, because this is such a contrast from our natural instincts, I mean, we tend to approach friendship as a consumer, don't we? You know, we, you know it's, it's something to be leveraged for our own gain, or, or at least it needs to be 50-50, right? I mean, we tend to look at friendship at, you know, what's in it for me? 
And I get that. I, I, I really do. I totally get that. But what if we approached friendship more from the perspective of what we could give and trusted God with what we'll get in return? Somebody really smart once said it's better to give than to receive because you know why? That it's in the giving that we so often get so much more than we could ever imagine. Just a couple of weeks ago, I met up with an old friend I hadn't seen in, in a long, long time. And uh, he was sort of a mentor to me uh, when we first started community. And I knew of him at that time from books and conferences. You know, I kind of idolized this guy, really looked up to me. He lived out east, and then I learned that he moved to Wheaton. And uh, I was ecstatic. And so I think it was literally the day after he moved in that I show up unannounced on his doorstep with a Baker Square French silk pie in hand. I'm sure he was thinking I was stalking him at this point. I guess you could say I took the initiative, <laughs> right? But it was Gary, that's his name. Gary, I mean, this guy, he was the one that was willing to sacrifice for our friendship. He willingly gave his time, his wisdom, his influence to give me opportunities to expand my leadership at a very young age. And we're still friends 20 plus years later. And now I'd pretty much do anything for him. And I think he, I think he sees the sacrifice that he made for me well worth the effort. And at that time, as I thought about it this week, you know, I think Gary was like my age when he extended himself to me. And I doubt he had any idea what our friendship might mean, even to him, if I could say so, over the years. Does that make sense? And here's where I'm kind of going with this. As I think about it in my own life, I think we need to think about this, especially when it comes to friendships with younger people, that we may have no idea how we will be blessed. Later on, we make a sacrifice for somebody younger than us. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Look, we want friendships. And in some ways, this is a very, very basic talk. But it's not an easy talk. We want friendships. We want to know and be known on a deeper level. But let me ask you, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to experience friendship like that? What are you willing to give up? Because anything worthwhile, worth having, is going to require that we give up something in return, right? Right? Well, there's one more trait of an awesome friend that we see in Jonathan. You know, Saul, the king, doesn't share Jonathan's affection for David. As a matter of fact, he sees David as a threat to his throne. He begins to despise David. Eventually, he lets this jealousy just get, you know, so, so heated that he, that he wants to take the life of David. He tries to take David's life over and over again. And on one of these occasions, David cries out to Jonathan, and it's just a fascinating section of Scripture. It's a little bit longer. I want you to follow along with me on the screen. I'm going to read it from here. And this is David speaking, okay? He says, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? David's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Why is this happening? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. Jonathan can't believe it. But David took an oath and said, look, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, hey, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. And then Jonathan said to David these remarkable words. All right, David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Wow. I mean, think about that. I mean, 
David tells Jonathan of his father's plan to murder him. And then Jonathan promises to defend David, even if it costs him his own life. (laughs) That's a friend. You know, it was no accident that my folks gave my brother and me the names David and Jonathan. And, uh, you know, in many ways, our friendship has... uh, has been like what we read about in, in this, this story. I've had to defend my brother my entire life. <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> but you know what? Truth is, we've always got along really well. Loved being around each other. Enjoyed working together. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, I mean, there's been ups and downs. We're still brothers. Uh, starting and leading this church has been one of the greatest joys of my life. Without a doubt. Uh, and the ride has been mostly smooth and wonderful. We've gone through some tough times together, moments when, you know, uh, some people didn't seem to buy, in the vision, buy into the vision. And I'm, I'm guessing as I look back, sometimes for good reason, probably. <laughs> Other seasons when it looked like maybe we weren't going to make it financially. And on a few, few occasions, there were staff people or key leaders who uh, we dearly loved and they left. You know, we parted ways. Things like this happen over the course of 26 plus years. And you know, like I said, our, our friendship is far from perfect, but I can say this, you know, it's, it's interesting as I reflect back, it's through those tough times in particular that Dave was very loyal. Um, he defended me, and uh, I think we had each other's backs in just the right sort of way. And what I find fascinating now is I think it's in those moments, those hard times, that I remember even more maybe than some of the really, really good times when it comes to our friendship. Here's the deal. You know, I really think there's going to come a time when you're going to need a friend to defend you, to have your back, to speak for you. And the truth is, if we want that kind of friend, you know what I'm going to say. You got to be that kind of friend who speaks up when someone has no voice, who stands when someone is weak, who cares enough to tell someone when they're in danger. This is a remarkable story. I mean, Jonathan was an awesome friend to David. He took the initiative, he sacrificed, he defended. But it's interesting, we haven't said much about David, have we? You know, it's not until much later in in the story that we understand David's love for Jonathan. Uh, At this point, Jonathan's no longer alive. He's been killed in battle. Saul is long gone too. David has become king. So as David sets up his new kingdom, check out what is one of his first requests. David asks this. He says, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan is gone. He's dead. And David is asking this question, is there anyone from Jonathan's family who I can still take care of? And then David discovers that one of Jonathan's sons, named Mephibosheth, is still alive. And so David does the unthinkable and sends for him and invites him to live in the palace and eat at the king's table. Now, that act of kindness was unthinkable back then. I mean, when a new king came to power, I mean, you know, the previous family, they'd be killed to prevent an overthrow, right? But David initiates this act of kindness, sacrifices when it would seem to others that it wasn't in his best interest, and defends Jonathan's legacy by caring for his son long after Jonathan's gone. 
Jonathan was an awesome friend. And David was an awesome friend in return. Remember these words. A person who has friends must himself be friendly. And so I just want to challenge. If you want an awesome friend, you've got to be an awesome friend. And if you've been around community at any time at all, you know one of the best places to form friendships, to really get connected to other people is within the context of a small group. We have dozens, literally hundreds of small groups that really are what make community what community is all about. Groups that meet in homes and in other places together where people are connecting on a deeper level. Some interesting research by the Lifeway organization found that in the average church, only about 50% of people say they have developed significant relationships with others in their church. Only about 50%. But when they surveyed people in small groups, that number went up to 90%. 90%. So if you want to be an awesome friend, if you want to have awesome friendships, I can't encourage you enough. Some of the best and greatest relationships I've formed throughout the years in the life of this church have been the people I've connected with in a small group. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you know, Jesus said something Really interesting about friendship. He said this. He said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus willingly giving up his own life is the single greatest act of friendship you will ever know. Let me say that again. Jesus willingly giving up his life is the single greatest act of friendship you will ever know. No one has ever initiated friendship with you more than Jesus. No one has ever sacrificed more for you than Jesus. No one has ever had your back more than Jesus. No one has ever been more of a friend to you than Jesus. And so as we think about what it means to be an awesome friend, let's just take some moments here today to remember the greatest friend we could ever know. The one who gave up his life for you and me. In a few moments, our ushers are going to pass the bread and the juice. The bread reminds us of Christ's body, the juice reminds us of his blood. And as you get the bread and juice, just hold on to it, okay? Hold on to it so we can take it all together as friends, okay? All right, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper.